Welcome to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. My name is John Morlow, and this is a special edition of Built to Sell Radio brought to you by Elon Musk. Well, it's actually not brought to you by Elon Musk, but Elon Musk's news today that he's backing away from or, quote, temporarily putting his acquisition of Twitter on hold provides a great little moment for us to kind of talk about the deal structure and some of the legalese that goes into a deal that uh, may be helpful for you as you contemplate your exit. A couple disclaimers off the top. I am not a lawyer. I would never get into law school. So if you think this is legal advice, it's not. <laughs> Please talk to a lawyer about structuring your deal. This is the most important uh, negotiation of your life. Uh, don't leave it to some kind of podcast. It needs to be done and handled by a professional lawyer trained in M&A transactions. Quick note about lawyers. There's two different types of lawyers. There's the person that incorporated your company. They are probably not the right lawyer to negotiate the sale of your business. You really want an M&A law firm, a corporate finance attorney, someone who does this all day long. Maybe at the same firm, but it is a specialty. You wouldn't go to your GP to get your hip replaced, nor would you use your general lawyer to negotiate the sale of your most important asset. Second disclaimer, I have no personal firsthand knowledge of this transaction that Elon Musk and Twitter are working at. I don't know Elon Musk, and I've obviously never seen the deal terms specifically. So I'm only interpreting what I'm seeing in the media, reports from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, etc. So with that as a sort of caveat, let me give you a couple of thoughts. A letter of intent is what you will get when an acquirer is looking to seriously consider buying your company. It's usually a written document, a couple pages long, maybe three or four pages long. It might include uh, a set of due diligence requirements that they're going to need in order to consummate or close a sale. It is almost always non-binding, meaning either party under normal circumstances, can walk away from the deal for any reason. And here's what happens. When we get a letter of intent, we see all those zeros in the purchase price, and we start to think, and very naturally, man, it'd be great to get a vacation home, and I saw that new Tesla at the dealership. And you start to think about all the things that you might go purchase with that money. But having done Built to Sell Radio now for, I don't know, six years, I can tell you firsthand uh, dozens and dozens of examples of deals that blow up after both parties sign a letter of intent. So resist the urge to spend the money in your mind. There are still lots of moves to make, lots of chess to play on your journey to actually consummating a share purchase agreement or signing a share purchase agreement. And that's, by the way, the name of the document you'll ultimately sign. A letter of intent is a precursor to a share purchase agreement. Share purchase agreement, if it is shares that are changing hands, is a much more formal document. It could be 30, 40 pages in length, 50 or more. And it looks very different than a letter of intent, which is a relatively simplified document Again, what you're looking for in a letter of intent is a purchase price, working capital calculation usually, and oftentimes a diligence schedule, what they want to look at during due diligence. 
if it does not include a firm purchase price, for example, it gave a range of EBITDA multiples that they would be willing to pay. It's really not a formal letter of intent in the kind of document that you, you're going to want to sign. You're going to want to firm that up much more comprehensively, get a firm price before those uh, before you go ahead and sign it. Also note that once you sign a letter of intent, it is almost always going to include what acquirers call a no-shop clause. No-shop clause means that you give up the right to continue to negotiate with other people. Now think about it. What happens when you sign that letter of intent and the no-shop clause? Accordingly, you're going to give up negotiating leverage. And that's an important milestone in your journey. You don't want to sign a letter of intent until you've really negotiated the terms that you're happy with. You've got other people involved, you've looked at other offers, and you've really decided that you're going to get engaged to this acquire. Because at this point, you you have to trust that they're going to close the deal. And num- number two, you have to really believe that it's the, it's the fairest price possible in the deal terms that you're excited about. You're never going to get a better deal than you sign in the letter of intent. You may, in fact, get a worse deal. We'll talk about retrading in a moment. Before we go to retrading, though, I want to just touch on briefly a breakup fee or a breakup clause. So you probably heard about this concept of a breakup clause where if a deal breaks up for whatever reason, i.e. Elon Musk says he wants to buy Twitter and then decides that "Ah, maybe I don't want to buy Twitter, that there is a breakup fee involved. My understanding, again, I'm just reading this third party, that there is, in fact, a breakup fee in the Elon Musk Tesla uh, Twitter deal. Again, I don't have any first-hand knowledge of what the terms of that breakup fee is, but it's somewhat irrelevant for you because unless you have a billion-dollar publicly traded company, you are unlikely to be able to negotiate a breakup fee. Why? Well, If you think about it, a public company has the luxury of being able to show to the stock market, as the requirement, I should say, to show to the stock market all their financials every single quarter. They go to jail if they fudge the numbers. Executives go to jail if they try to fudge the numbers, which gives other companies looking at buying a public company a relatively high degree of confidence that the books aren't cooked. In a private transaction, like buying your company, an acquirer has no knowledge of how you keep your books and what's hiding under the covers and you know in the closet and therefore is very unlikely to agree to a breakup fee without doing the due diligence that they require to close the deal. So you're almost always going to have to swallow hard and sign the letter of intent even though it does not include a breakup fee. But again, before you do that, you're going to want to make sure that you create a marketplace for your company. In other words, you create multiple bidders, that you evaluate a variety of letter of intent, uh, intents. You negotiate as much as you can because know that once you sign the LOI, the negotiating leverage goes much, much further in favor of the acquirer, which brings me to retrading. Retrading is the dirty little secret of the M&A world. It's what happens when an acquirer agrees to purchase your business for a certain price, and then after a period of time, they come up with a reason that they're not willing to pay what they said they were going to pay. They're, in fact, only going to offer a lesser price. To be clear, I have no 
firsthand knowledge of whether Elon Musk is trying to retrade the deal with Twitter. He may legitimately want to walk away. He may now have no intention of buying this business once he discovers what he, once he has discovered what he's discovered. But retrading is a real thing you should know about as you go into the sale of your company. Again, there are two types of retrading. The first type is legitimate retrading. Legitimate retrading happens when you misrepresent something during the marketing of your company. If you say you have 10 customers when you market your business, and then when the acquirer does the due diligence, they discover you actually only have eight customers. Or if you say your churn rate is 3% a month, and what they discover is it's actually 5% a month, that's legitimate retrading. You've misrepresented something or uh, you know, pre- presented something in a, in, a, in, a, in a too favorable light or you didn't really have a good handle on your bookkeeping. Whatever the reason, they've discovered something that is legitimately not what they thought they were buying. And in that case, expect an acquirer to retrade, to, to renegotiate the terms of the deal because they've discovered something that you misrepresented. Now, in the case of Elon Musk, it looks like he's discovered or is questioning at the very least the number of fake accounts that Twitter has. Of course, part of his valuation of Twitter would have been based on the number of unique users, the number of profiles, et cetera, that are legitimate and not bots. Uh, and what he's discovered, at least it seems, is that there may be that 5% threshold may actually be incorrect. There may, in his mind, be more than that. He at least wants to validate before closing the deal. And if Twitter did characterize that their you know, fake account uh, rate was less than 5%, and what Elon Musk discovered in his due diligence is that it's actually 25%, well, that would give him absolute grounds, in my view, to retrade it, legitimately retrade. Right now, you are likely to also get us exposed to illegitimate, in my view, retrading. What is illegitimate retrading? It's when an acquirer uses the fact that they've committed to you under letter of intent, that you've effectively given up negotiating leverage when you sign that no shop clause, they're giving up, you have given up negotiating leverage and they're using that to renegotiate the deal because they know you don't have a leg to stand on because they know they're larger than you, uh, in a better position than you, that you've maybe told your employees or committed uh, to, to spending that you can't afford without necessarily closing the transaction. And they use that information to manufacture some reason to not close the sale. And that manufacturing could be virtually anything in their mind. Now, again, in the case of a legitimate actor, they're going to see things. And if they do discover things that you misrepresented, that gives them a legitimate reason to retrade. When it comes to illegitimate retrading, it's really something that they've dreamt up or manufactured in order to retrade. And here's what's going on right now. As you read this or you uh, listen to this, excuse me, you know that the stock market is down fairly significant in 2022. 
the NASDAQ is down a lot. Uh, even the Dow is down and, and virtually all sort of asset classes, cryptos down a chunk. I mean, the, the price of publicly traded assets has been hit hard over the last few months. Well, that affects privately held businesses as well. So if you agreed to a letter of intent, for example, in January 2022, and you're still trying to close the deal in May 2022, you can expect retrading because the acquirer is going to say, well, the, the asset value that I thought I was buying is just dropped because of all assets have dropped over the last few months. And so again, it's, in my view, illegitimate. There's no reason. It's not like you misrepresented something, but I think you're going to face that more and more, and especially if your due diligence period is being protracted. Why does diligence get protracted? It gets protracted, usually, let's be clear, in a letter of intent, an acquirer will say, look, we need 60 days, 45 days, 90 days in order to consummate this transaction, move from a letter of intent to a share purchase agreement. That's the due diligence period. An acquirer may choose to prolong that period for a few reasons. One, they may be dragging their feet on due diligence. You are slow to get them the data requests that they need Oftentimes, they protract it because they know the longer the deal goes on, the more deal fatigue sets in, the more likely you are to succumb to retrading efforts. So right now, we might be in a situation where they're manufacturing data requests, they're manufacturing reasons to extend the due diligence period because they're seeing the stock market drop like a rock uh, or off a cliff. And they're saying, well, if we just prolong this another four weeks, another six weeks, we can have even more justification to lower our price. I hope this doesn't happen to you, but it happens. And I want you to know about it. There's one more document that I think you should be aware of that looks a lot like a letter of intent, but it's actually less formal. It's often used even earlier in the sale process, the acquisition process. It's called an IOI, an indication of interest. How is it different? Well, it's different because a letter of intent is more formal. Again, it's going to have a no shop clause most likely. It's going to have usually a working capital calculation. It's not going to uh, be a range of multiple. It's going to be a firm number, and they're often going to include a due diligence schedule. An IOI or an indication of interest is used usually earlier in the negotiation process. And as the name suggests, it's simply an indication that an acquirer has a relatively formal interest in learning more about your business. An IOI, by contrast, is often includes a range of multiples. So it'll say, we're going to be willing to buy your business for you know four to six times EBITDA or two times recurring revenue, whatever their valuation number is, they're going to use a range most likely in an IOI. And they're also going to indicate other areas that they want to explore to learn more about in order to firm up their offer. Again, if you get an IOI, it's going to look different because it's usually going to include a range, a less formal document. And as a seller, what you're going to want to do before you get too serious with that acquirer is you start sharing a lot of information with them uh, or even commit to them in any way. You're going to want to firm that up into a letter of intent and again, unfortunately, you're unlikely to be able to negotiate 
a breakup fee. So you're, what you're going to want to do is create a marketplace so the, the, the acquirer knows that you have other options once the due diligence period comes to an end. Uh, and they, if they choose not to consummate the deal, you've got other options on the table. That's going to be giving you the best leverage in order to uh, get to the end finish line without succumbing to retrading. Again, I have no firsthand knowledge of what Elon Musk is up to, the reasons that he's chosen to put the deal on hold. Um, but hopefully this episode was helpful for you to understand a little bit of the inside baseball behind the uh, the legal machinations, the difference between an IOI, letter of intent, or share purchase agreement, some of the things to think about as it relates to retrading. Uh, again, get a lawyer, especially a corporate lawyer who does M&A transactions. I'm not a lawyer, so don't take it from me. Make sure you have a, an M&A lawyer at your side as you go through the most important transaction of your life. We will be back again next week with another edition of Built to Sell Radio. By that time, hopefully we will have seen how this Elon Musk Twitter thing all plays out. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.